Our reading today is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, <laughs> stick with me, <laughs> please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But, he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he, took hold, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please be seated. <sighs> Well, where is the Lord? What a great question to start our morning. Um, and I have to thank Ben for the, the emphasis on the Elijah and the Elisha. Um, I have to admit that the most difficult thing about this passage this morning is me keeping those two separate. All right, so just, I'll just plan to mumble through it and let you guys figure it out. Uh, but if you're new here with us, thank you for being here. My name is Jordan Green. I am an associate pastor here at our Leewood campus of Christ Community. And as we get started today, some of you know this, but my wife and I have a beautiful two-year-old daughter named Avery Ray Green. That's what she looks like, yeah. Um, 
However, what you don't know, uh, because I actually haven't shared this with that many people, uh, what you don't know is that right after she was born, uh, I, like any good millennial would, opened an email account for her. All right? <laughs> now, now, I understand that in, in 18 years, once I plan to give it to her, um, I understand that Gmail might be like Hotmail is today. I get that. But if Gmail is still around, I had to make sure that she got an account that didn't have a bunch of numbers in it. Uh, so no numbers, Avery Ray Green. Well, I won't tell you because I want you to email her. Um, <laughs> uh, but then, you see, I decided to take it one step further, all right, and start writing her emails. Sort of just snapshots of life. You see, some of them are pictures like this one. Aw, is the proper response. Thank you. <laughs> but other, other things uh, are more simple. They capture moments like, Tonight was the first night you held our hands to pray. And I know that this is sweet or cheesy, however you want to look at it, but here's why I tell you this story. These past eight weeks, we have been walking with Elijah from the heights of Mount Carmel to the depths of Beersheba, and today we come to his last day on earth. And there is just something about thinking about our last day, thinking about our end that causes us to think about what we leave behind. And for me, that's what these emails are. Because the truth is, all our stories have an ending. Whether as a parent and you're sending your high school kid off to college, you're saying goodbye to an end of immediate guidance that you have in their life, or here with Elijah and the very end of life on earth. And in our day, more than any other time in the place and history of humanity, we are separated from the realities of death and dying. Of course, of course, everyone knows they have an end, but few think about it. It just doesn't feel real to the average American. And I know for some of you this isn't the case, but there have been multiple studies on the general absence of death in American culture. Because, you see, in a culture that prizes youth, the aged, the dying, the realities of death are taboo. They're hidden from view. We segregate them from society. You see, the realities of death break down our illusions of control. It makes us ask the questions we so often deny. What's next? Did my life matter? What am I leaving behind? So while I know Elijah doesn't technically die, he does end. And we are going to look at Elijah's ending to the, this morning and reflect on three lessons together. So our passage starts in 2 Kings 2, verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And what a way to start a story. <laughs> I mean, with its ending. Could, just imagine with me. Can you imagine if the classic movie, The Sixth Sense, started this way? All right? This is how it would go. It would say, now, when Bruce Willis was about to realize he was actually dead, he met a young boy named Cole. <laughs> Spoilers, right? <laughs> and, and I have to apologize. If you haven't seen Sixth Sense, uh, <laughs> that's, that's on you, not me. <laughs> well, you see, this story that we have isn't driven by suspense, but rather curiosity. When we read that first line, we think, wait, no way. How is that going to come about? And then, when Elijah, this man of God that we've been following, leaves, what's Elisha going to do? 
But there's also a more basic reason to start this way. You see, the fact that we all end is no surprise. We may not know how or when, but someone does. And that's one of the most striking lessons of this narrative. The overwhelming sense that God knows how and when it's going to end. This lesson, it's emphasized over and over as Elijah and Elisha were taking their journey from Gilgal and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Just imagine the scene with me, right? It's like high school all over again. It's like, did, did you hear about Elijah? Everyone knows what's going to happen. They come to Jericho, same thing again. Did, did you hear about Elijah? He's, he's leaving, right? And, and you can almost hear Elisha's reticence to even believe that this will happen. And, and honestly, who could blame him? He had followed this hairy prophet from Tishbe for some 20 years now, ever since that fateful day when Elijah found him plowing the field with 24 oxen and threw this nasty cloak over the top of his head. Now at each of these towns that they're following through, Elijah asks Elisha to stay behind. But how could he? He responds, as long as you live, I'm following you. We've got a good thing going here. Don't leave me, and I won't leave you. On top of that, the prophets are confronting Elisha at every stop about his master's departure. They're saying, hey, hey, did you hear your boss is leaving? What, what do we do then? Is this prophet thing over with? To which Elisha replies, yeah, I know it, but don't talk about it. It's too hard. I just don't want to hear it. But you see, the prophets know, Elisha knows, and even Elijah knows. In verse 9, when they had crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I should do for you before I am taken from you. Everyone knows this is the end of Elijah's story because we are meant to see this is no surprise to anyone, especially God. For God knows how and when it's going to end for Elijah for you, and for me. And I think I find this both depressing and comforting, don't you? In a day and age where we can so easily forget the reality of death, we need to be reminded that our lives on earth will end, and even more, that God holds them in his hand. In 2016, a new memoir came out, When Breath Becomes Air. It was a number one New York Times bestseller, um, hopefully, maybe some of you guys have read it. But it's the memoir of Paul Kalanidi, a young neurosurgeon uh, who actually writes like a philosopher, as he is faced with a terminal illness that eventually takes his life. Reflecting on his diagnosis, he says, I began to realize that coming in such close contact with my own mortality had changed both nothing and everything. The fact of death is unsettling. Yet there is no other way to live. And that's just it. When we live with the end in mind, it changes everything. And that's what the psalmist prays in Psalm 90. That God would teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Do you want to live a wise life? A good life? Number your days. For you and I, we live in light of the time that's given to us. 
You see, numbering our days means realizing the brevity of life so that we might use each day as best we can. In some ways, it's kind of like having a spending plan, if you'll allow me to make that analogy. And, and we know, as Dave Ramsey would say, or, or yell at us, the, <laughs> right? the first strategy to building a wise spending plan is use cash only. I'm not good at it. To number, to see every dollar spent, to see that our finances are finite. And in the same way, numbering our days cults a heart of wisdom because we recognize there's only a finite amount and each and every one is a gift from the one who gives life. Knowing that life is finite is unsettling, but it teaches us to, share, to cherish and use well every single day. Elijah is numbering his days. He knows it's going to end, and this is essential to his life, and it leads us to our next lesson together. That while our leadership, while our work will end, and even our very lives on this earth will end, God's work will not end with you. God's work will not end with you. Elijah's final time took him from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and across the Jordan. You see, this is between 25 and 50 miles. A, a large tolerance, I know. But Eli and, and honestly, if Elijah was wearing his Fitbit, as he should be, uh, and I, I imagine him wearing the hip one like myself, um, that's over 50,000 steps. Okay, I, I had to look this up, but uh, it's enough to earn the cowboy boot Fitbit badge. Right? Hold on, it gets better. And possibly the ever-elusive Olympian sandal badge, the highest honor. But if God was going to take Elijah from this earth, why did they have to go so far? The road was dirty, fraught with danger, their shoes were worn. And can't you imagine it was just a somber walk? I mean, what did they talk about? And if you're walking this road, you're reading the road signs. You see Gilgal, and then you see Bethel, you see Jericho. There's a little sign that says, visit us again. You're getting ready to cross the Jordan. The first thought is, wait, wait a second. We're leaving home? Elijah, where are you taking me? But Elijah knows the Bible, and he knows the book of Joshua, and these places are all too familiar. In fact... This is the road we took long, long ago in order to get here. You see, because God's work not only doesn't end with you, but it didn't start with us either. This is the way Joshua came in from wandering 40 years and conquered the land. Do you guys remember Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down? We're now going in reverse on our way out of the land. But these locations, they also represent the pagan strongholds of the land. Bethel, the place of the shrine of the golden calf. And Jericho, which was rebuilt only by the blood of child sacrifice. Elijah is saying, during my time, Israel didn't turn their hearts back to God. And it's time to begin again. And can it feel sometimes like we just haven't learned anything? but we're actually going backwards? <laughs> Thankfully, God's work doesn't end with us, but it continues on. So just like when Moses handed leadership to Joshua, I am giving the reins to you, Elisha. And Elisha takes up this call and he marches in the way they just came out to continue this work of God, 
And instead of tearing down Jericho as before, he conquers the city by healing it. Elijah wasn't able to do this because God's plans didn't rest on him alone. See, here's the thing to grasp. We, We are less important than we generally think we are. But we are also more important than we could possibly imagine. We're less important than we generally think and more important than we could possibly imagine. What do I mean by this? We remember Elijah in the cave, 1 Kings 19. Hopefully we were all here. Elijah tells the Lord, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And we might say, he's more than a little self-absorbed. Because what does God tell him? God says, look, Elijah, I feel your pain. But just to let you know, I actually have 7,000 prophets who haven't worshipped Baal. And, And also, would you go out and recruit a couple others to join you in this mission? You see, Elijah is less important than he might think. And and this alignment means God's work will not end with us. And it changes the very way Elijah lives. Because when you live with this end in view, it changes everything. You you might ask, how did it change his life? How did it change Elijah's life? How, How might it change our lives? The first thing we see, after Elijah's pity party in the cave, we find a very different sort of person. We find an Elijah who has hope and rest in a God who is in charge. You see, the world doesn't rest on Elijah's shoulders. He can walk to his end knowing that God isn't done with his people. Elijah's done, but God is not. And he's not done with you or I either. But what about the businesses you're leading? You won't be there forever, right? What about your kids, many of whom are going off to college this time of year? Your influence will dwindle, but God is not done. Your child's development is not wholly on you. We have a part to play, to be sure. But we trust in the one whose work doesn't end with us. And hopefully this type of trust can allow us to let go when we need to and believe in the continuing work of God. Second, knowing that we aren't the center of God's work causes us to pour into others. And for some of you, this might be the most important thing you need to hear this morning. Look at Elijah. When you know that God's work will not end with you, you learn to become a foundation for others, to train up the next generation. And, and honestly, I know that this isn't new to any of you guys, right? Because as a church, we believe this. In fact, it's the whole reason I'm standing right here. As part of our resident pastoral program, I mean, I am here to learn and to follow and to be like people like Tom Nelson and even Andrew Jones. (laughs) Uh, And personally, I thank all of you guys for it and I thank God for it. It is a fantastic program. It's a fantastic way to learn to be. Because isn't it true that we all want to be followed? I mean, why else would anyone open a Twitter account? but we struggle to learn to follow. And yet we find that the best leaders are very often first the best followers. Elisha will come to lead hundreds of prophets, but first he learned to follow Elijah. 
He learned to become someone before doing something. The Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We have a great invitation into the apprenticeship of Jesus to follow him, to be like him. And so many others have gone before us to give us a picture of what it looks like, a foundation on which to build. And in our vocations, in our families, in our communities, who are we following? And in these different arenas of life, who are we leading? Third, it changes Elijah's life because it gives him the drive to work for something that lasts. Are you investing your money and time and work and love on things that will be here long after you're gone? We can so easily live for nothing further than the next five minutes and nothing bigger than our own selfish desires. But Elijah shows us that we are called to participate in the very work of God on this earth. Because God's work widens our view. We ask, how is what I'm doing in my vocation, my church, my family, participating in this continuing work of God? Living with the end in mind changes everything. And while Elijah is less important than he might think, he's also more important than he could possibly imagine. Yes, he's only one of two people who never experienced death, and and why God brought down a fiery chariot is a mystery, but that's not exactly what makes him important. You see, none of this matters without the answer to Elisha's question. Whether God plans our end or whether God's work outlasts us, none of it matters unless God never leaves us alone. God never leaves us alone is our third lesson this morning. God may know our end, but that bring, and that brings a right perspective, but without his very presence, we have no hope in a life past death. And the very thing that gives us hope in God's work not ending with us is the belief that his very presence is with us. Thus, we may participate in his work, not our own. This is the essence of Elisha's cry on the banks of the Jordan. Where is the Lord? Your servant Elijah is gone. Are you gone too? Have you left us to ourselves? You see, three times before, Elijah had asked Elisha to stay behind. Because when it comes to the end, isn't it easy to push others away? But you see, God had called Elisha to follow. God had called him to stay with Elijah. We need the presence of God in our lives. And one of the ways God never leaves us is by bringing along others beside us in our darkest times. Because no one really wants to be all alone when they come to the end. So they continue on past the Jordan. And when the time is near for Elijah to be taken away, he turns to his servant Elisha and he says, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken away. Elijah is saying, you followed me. You've stuck by me through thick and thin. We've had a couple close scrapes. So what can I do for you? And Elisha responds, please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Just a little presumptuous, we might think. Uh, You know, as I was thinking about this, it's similar to asking a genie for unlimited wishes, right? That's just foundational. We all know that's against the rules. (laughs) What is he saying? He's saying, Elijah, I want what you've got. I want to be just as effective as you. In fact, I want to build on what you have already started, a double share. 
And we actually find it in the, in the Jewish tradition of Elisha. He's known to go on and do twice as many miracles as Elijah. But here's the key. What is it that made Elijah so effective, so important? You see, in chapter 1, Elijah is identified as a man of God. And Elisha is saying, I want that. I know that I can do nothing unless God is with me. I love the way Peter Lightheart puts it in his commentary on the book of Kings. He says it this way. He says, Israel's renewal does not depend on royal wisdom or political success, but on the work of Yahweh's spirit in his prophet. Elisha recognizes this and he asks for it, but it's a hard request. Elijah says, you've asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. A hard thing to give because only God can do it. And a hard thing to receive because it requires all of your life. It requires you to follow me all the way to the end. So then, even as they walked and talked like they had for years... A chariot of fire comes down and Elijah Elijah goes up in a whirlwind. And only two men have never experienced death, right? Enoch walked with God and was no more. And Elijah was a man of God and God took him. And we find the defining characteristic of both is the presence of God. So before we know it, Elijah is gone and Elisha is left holding his coat. The only thing left behind. And this cloak, it's a symbol of leadership passing to Elisha, but it's also more than that. You see, we find it shows up two other times in the story of Elijah. We already mentioned one, when Elijah throws it over Elisha, representing his call to come and to follow. But the first place it shows up is on Mount Sinai, when Elijah met with God. So you can just see Elijah standing on the banks of the Jordan, holding this cloak, This cloak that was always a reminder to Elijah of the man who met with God. It had no power in itself. But every time he looked at it, he thought of Elijah and the faithfulness of God to be with him. So he stands there on the banks of the Jordan holding the cloak and exclaiming, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Will the Lord be with me as he was with him, the man who wore this cloak? And we see even clearer than Elisha did, don't we? Because Jesus came in the very name Emmanuel, God is with us. And he promises in John 14 that if he goes to the Father, his followers will do even greater works than these signs and wonders. What is he saying? He's saying that for Jesus to go to the Father, that meant to follow all the way to the end, all the way to the cross. And it is a hard thing but Jesus did it for us. Neither Elijah nor Elisha could bear this weight, but Jesus endured through death so that the greater work of salvation might be proclaimed by his followers. Lately, as as part of my devotional, I've been reading from the New City Catechism. Uh, It's a question-answer style teaching that's been put out. Um, It's going around, but one of the first, the very first one, actually, uh, it's Calvin's understanding of the essence of Christianity. And it goes like this. The question asks, what is our only hope in life and death? The answer, 
that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our only hope in life and in the face of death is in a God who never leaves us alone. For we know that Jesus came to be God with us forever. And his last promise is to be with us always till the end of the age. This is a hope that we carry with us and we pass on to others. You see, Elijah left behind a cloak. And we all leave behind cloaks that tell our story. For me, I hope that my random emails, eccentric emails, will be a story of God's presence in our lives. Something that my daughter can look back on and hopefully a foundation for her own story. Of course, no one follows God perfectly, not even Elijah. But we all leave behind stories of God's presence in our lives and God's work that goes beyond us. So what does this sort of life look like today? What does it look like to live based on the confidence that God is with us and that his work continues past us? I want to end our morning with the story of Dana Halstead. You probably don't know who I'm talking about, and and that's okay. His funeral, it will actually be this afternoon in Olathe. And even though I'm sure he had no idea what it might look like, Dana trusted that God was with him. Dana was married to Mary Kay, and he was a pastor. Throughout his life, Dana planted four churches in the Kansas City area. And after they retired, they attended our Olathe campus and were eventually sent out from there to help start the Shawnee Mission campus. But the last church Dana started as a pastor was in Olathe, Heritage Community Church. You see, it was, one, it was a country church, and when the suburbs showed up, it dwindled. It was not the success they'd hoped for. And I just can't imagine how hard it would be to start a church to give everything to make it work. I mean, I mean everything. He literally planted the church and literally built it with his hands. And then he watched its doors close. But God never left him, and God wasn't done. Today, we call that church the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. That building, those 10 acres, we didn't build it. We had no right to it. But in 2006, Dana gave it to our community. And we have been the recipients. In fact, this was the moment that really pushed us as a community into multi-site. And to hear, to hear this story told, I'm not sure if we would have started in Olathe, downtown Brookside, Shawnee Mission, if Dana hadn't done that work for us to get us started. And if Christ's community has meant anything to you at all, we owe such a debt of gratitude to a man who believed that God's work would outlast him, who believed that in the end, God was with him, who handed down to us a story of God's presence. So we stand on the banks of the Jordan and we ask, Where is the Lord? And our Lord responds, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our God who is forever with us. May this bring comfort to our weary souls. Lord, for a world faced with injustice, greed, selfish ambition, when it feels like the world is just going backwards, We confess 
that our only hope is found in the very presence of God. Lord, for our own lives that only have so many days left, may your presence guide us into the work that will continue long past us. May we live lives of meaning based on the foundation of a God who has bought us and is with us. A foundation that doesn't end with us and is built on by others. Lord, we trust in your promise to be with us always. In Christ I pray, amen.